Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a full but different house today to talk about a very exciting week for Tottenham Hotspur. Before we get into it, I want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a big, shiny five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because we're great and we deserve it and i don't know it really makes us feel better if someone tells us how good we are uh getting past that we not only have an exciting uh match of tottenham hospitals to talk about today but we have two very exciting arsenal matches to talk about which we i am absolutely tickled pink to talk about these matches so let's get into it joining us this week it is coming to us from the wilds of east atlanta it is ben daniels ben uh i i I, I hope. I mean, given your household, I'm imagining this week's been nothing but uh, nothing but five stars for you, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a gracious winner. I'm a terrible loser, but uh, I, I, you know, I know how much I hate it when my wife rubs it in when we were losing just a few weeks ago, and not returning the favor says more, I think, to her. <laughs> She knows. She knows what she did. <laughs> and joining us, uh, my fellow New Yorker, uh, filling in for Brian this week, it is Michael Cayley. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. You know, is there a New York analogy you could apply to the week Tottenham have had? Is there a is there a way you could relate this? Is it like finding like a pastrami sandwich on top of your Knicks tickets? I don't know. I'm 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 kind of sorry. I hadn't fully. Developed I was, that I was, one I was I walking, talking. walking home from school with it, walking my kid home from school, and he found a Pokemon card, which he claims is now his fourth best Pokemon card, just on the street. So that's kind of uh, you know, Spurs winning great. Spurs picking up six points on Arsenal. <laughs> in like face of four games that's fine your fourth best pokemon card in the street right there that's that's top four for pokemon <laughs> top four for spurs so is, is his top four his everything too mike <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so let's let's get into it because i i gotta say this is with the exception of like maybe some of our bigger wins against teams like city i real i haven't enjoyed a spurs match like this in quite a while it was i mean Beating Villa 4-0 after the way that game started, or the way that first half went, I suppose, was, I don't know, I found it incredibly satisfying. Just the way that Villa played us in the first half, both from a, like, like they played us very well on the one hand, and they were also incredibly violent on the other. And the fact that we ended up just totally wiping the floor with them, I think, you know, at least on the score sheet, it was a very satisfying match. Ben, was it? enjoyable for you or was it only enjoyable after the fact i mean getting that early goal definitely helped you know my mental state because i knew it couldn't get that bad starting with the lead i was mostly just like concerned on a mental level because the only games i've missed this season have been the five nil or five five nil against everton and the five one against newcastle <laughs> and so i was certain that like getting to watch a game again meant that it was all going to turn to shit uh, and that was much more concerning to me than anything Aston Villa was doing on the pitch. But um, yeah, I mean they were they were really giving it to us, and the ref was really letting them. Um, we did not handle that well. Was this I mean, my gut reaction in the match? Was it's like one of the more violent, at least the first half was one of the more violent periods of play that I have watched. And again, you know, I've watched Eric Labella, I've watched Christian Romero. I think the difference is, you know, we're used to, I think, players freelancing a little bit. But that felt, like, as a strategy, that felt like an exceptional, that felt like an exceptional level of violence. I don't know if I'm just, like, 
you know, like a, a weak American who's not used to hard tackles or whatever and people getting stuck yeah. in. But it really did seem like we were watching, like, Aston Villa try to recreate the 1970 FA Cup final or something out there. I mean, it was very bad, right? I'm not overreacting to this. You're not, but at the same time, the main thing I would analogize it to is Pochettino's Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> like Real battle of the bridge energy. Well, like, Pochettino would gear up his team to do exactly that to other teams. And then when the, when the ref didn't let it, when the ref let it go, they would do that. But they would do it for 90 minutes, not for 45. But like, you know, that was, it was obviously a strategy was we are going, we think we can take them out of their game in, in build-up play. We can force them to not, not to be able to do what they want to do, moving the ball forward. And we can do that not just by pressing them, but with further application of violence. It was clearly a team-wide strategy that was quite effective. It could have been made less effective by a referee who wanted to call fouls and give cards, but it was clearly a strategy. And like you often find that a referee won't respond to that by trying to lock things down. And that was one of the things that Pochettino took advantage of when he was, when he was at Tottenham too. Well, it's, and again, I think, that, I think you laid on a key point there, which is the referee let it happen. I don't know if Gerard was smart enough to like sort of key in on like, okay, this ref doesn't call fouls that much. Like it takes a lot to get a card out of him. Or if it was just, okay, we need to press Spurs. Cause a lot of teams make that decision, but we're not technically good enough to just press them. We need to sort of, you know, knock them out and see, you know, punch them in the face and see how they handle it. I guess like, like I said, we, we, there, I mean, on this podcast, we repeatedly talk about how much we enjoy the violence that some of our players are habitually deal out Eric Lamella and Christian Romero. And we will get to some Christian Romero fun later tonight. Um, you know, we enjoy when these players like really give it to someone, especially someone we don't like, but man, this was, I mean, this was like a team wide effort, which is what I think felt, a little unusual, and I get what you're saying. Like, I mean, Pochino's Tottenham was a very physical team, but this even—I mean, I don't know. I don't remember many, aside from the Battle of the Bridge. I don't remember many team-wide efforts where we were just like trying to cripple everyone, as opposed to like we are going to knock your ass off the ball. I mean, maybe, maybe I am splitting hairs and being very like kind to my team. I probably right. am, but this still felt When your team does it, you're just knocking them off the ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could be better than that. Does it? They're you know spine shattering mercenaries who are I mean uh, I mean Cash like ended Doherty's season like in the 20th minute or whatever I mean it's not you know at a minimum I think certainly you know Villa well I don't think I'm downplaying what Villa did if I'm anything I'm downplaying what Spurs or other teams have done in the past yeah absolutely yeah but I, yeah, I, I mean, still think it was this, a, it was a was tremendous a shocking. symphony of violence it, it was <laughs> and yeah any any early carding would have reined that in and like made the game more normal. And instead the violence just carried on. We were very rattled by it and their sort of tactical approach to the game. And we played a horrible first half um, that was lucky enough to start with a, a pretty nice goal. Um, so Michael, I want to talk about the first half a little bit because I had a hard time disentangling and maybe you can't, but I had a hard time disentangling sort of like how bad we were playing with Villa just trying to murder us every time we got the ball. And, you know, I think the way the game was wrapped and I think the way that we responded to it changed in the second half. And I think, you know, the, the way the violence changed in the second half, I think coincided with a better period of play from us. So how much, I mean, how much was Villa just outplaying us and how much was it, was their strategy of violence really working? I mean, I mean, the two are the same thing. Like, I because mean, it's not like in the second half, the referee started calling it a lot tighter. There were a couple of extra foul calls. Mm-hmm. The main thing is I think they just ran out of gas. I mean, I mean, Aston Villa over the course of the game had 73 pressures in our attacking third. We had 17 in their attacking third. Like, it was a, it wasn't just, the, like, the violence was part of a strategy to disrupt us moving the ball forward from the center backs and the wing backs out in out, out out up the field and that was highly effective there were only a couple of moments in the first half when Spurs were able to get Kulisevsky or Kane into space just a couple and both those times they 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 got they got defended 
like they, they wanted to limit the number of times that you get to that moment where some, where the whole team is breaking and Kulisevsky or Kane is looking for a pass. And, and they did that. And I think it was just, you know, a very effective strategy. I think that like along with the violence, it's also just a very hard strategy to implement over 90 minutes. And, um, you know, if, if, if your strategy involves Danny Ings pressing like mad, which he was, and he was quite good at, and he like won two tackles in the final third, like that's not something that Danny Ings does for 90 minutes at his age anymore. Especially when he picks up a yellow card for his troubles. No. I, I, I think what was interesting to me is like they, they were clearly trying to pen us in and keep us from advancing the ball, funnel us out to the wings, and then we just decided to start bypassing their midfield entirely. And what I thought was really interesting is every time we did that, we, it was like we broke the back of their defender, their back line, very easily. Like I mean, it felt like Sun was just running in between two two center backs. Like every time I looked up, when we sort of started chucking the ball downfield, it was. I don't know. I, I guess with the way Villa play, I, I would expect their center backs to be better than that. But, you know, any time we sort of did get the ball into their attacking third, I mean, it, it wasn't an impressive display from them. I I don't really agree with that. I'm trying to think okay. of, other than, other than the, the Kane's header, which was spectacular. Kulishevsky's the second, the second goal. I mean, there's like two defenders back, and he nutmegs one and hits the corner. It's it that they they did they did a fine job on that. I don't know. I don't know. He also, I mean, Kulishevsky also sits Mings down on the fourth goal. So I, I don't yeah, know. Which, I mean, they left in a situation where it was kind of like man to man on the break. So like, yeah, they had guys back, but we had equal numbers of guys going forward. And you know, because of how aggressively they were pressing, they were maybe spread a little more. And they weren't as compact as like some teams that we face, like a Burnley, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. that like keeps the gaps between their defenders a little tighter. Um, and our players are good enough to like find those spaces. But, you know, we weren't getting a ton of chances. You know, we weren't creating a lot of opportunities. I mean, if, we'll probably talk about this, but like the expected goals in this game was hilariously out of whack with the actual scoreline. Um, you know, we just happened to have three attackers who are insanely good in insanely good form right now. And Villa just can't cope with that. Well, I mean, the- Sun's finishing in this game was, and the, the, the finish he puts on the ball that, that Kane plays into him where he's one-on-one with the keeper is, you know, just a perfect, simple finish. But the other two, one is with his left foot and the other is with his right foot. And they both are curled perfectly inside the, in, inside the post. Like, it, 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 I mean, he is just one of the very few best finishers in the world, and we saw him in this game at his very best, which is, you know, absolutely wonderful, but it's kind of not a tactical story. But it, I think this game was also a bit of a story of narrative because, like, you know, Villa was beating our brains in in the first half after we scored that first goal. And, you know, thanks to Hugo, and we'll get to Hugo in a minute, um, you know, we came out still ahead in the second half, and then... Kulishevsky scores that goal, what, like 10 minutes, maybe not even in the second half. And, I mean, I, I Michael, you might, Ben, you might remember the numbers, but it sure felt like that broke Villa. I mean, Villa, was just it just took the air out of their tires, and they were not. It never felt like they were seriously threatening us after that. Yeah, Kulishevsky yeah. scored in the 50th minute, so like five minutes after halftime, and that's a, that's a real gut punch. Uh, you know, as Villa did play such a good half, not just in containing us and disrupting us and fouling us, but like offensively, they put together several great moves. Coutinho was an absolute monster. You know, like they attacked us really well and to have nothing to show for that. Not only nothing to show for that, they were losing to go into the half. And then that is, you know, I I get that, that like that takes the wind out of their sails and that's kind of game over. Um yeah, but, I mean, they're they're chasing the game in the second half after that Kolosevsky goal, and they only had five shots over the rest of the game, two of which were headers by Kanza from from corners. Like they were completely unable to do the stuff that they were doing attacking in the second half, and I think that like you know. To what degree is it, you know, the, the game changes and they're unable, they, they can't adjust to a 2-0 game. You know, they, they sort of, I kind of, it read, it read to me like they just ran themselves out. 
I think they I think they ran themselves out, and then on top of that, you know, they're up, Spurs are up by two now. Shit, like I mean, that's got to just take it out of you mentally. I mean, like Ben said, it's frustrating enough the way the first half went for them, but it God, it was. I don't know. I found that really satisfying. Like, the way we just held on for the first half and probably didn't deserve to be ahead. And then we just, like, scored, like, three incredible... They were all very good goals in this game. But, like, the three we scored in the second half were all so excellent. And just... I mean, like, we we see this against Man City a lot. Like, it's really satisfying to beat another team because you're better than them. It's sometimes even more satisfying to beat another team because you're not better than them and you beat the shit out of them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's very different from the Newcastle game that we won by the same number of goals, mm-hmm. where just a, just absolutely stomped them. And like, just that was a game where you could constantly see Tottenham getting into their attacking patterns and breaking through using those attacking patterns and using Kane getting on the ball with Kolosevsky and Son running on, or Kolosevsky getting on the ball running down the wing. Or one of the wingbacks getting into space, like every all of the attacking stuff that we wanted to do, we were doing again and again against Newcastle. And this game, we weren't. It's just that we did it a couple of times, and each time it led to a goal. And yeah, that's tremendously. But it, it, what's crazy about it is it's not just like each time it led to a goal. I mean, which is technically true, but it was just each time it led to a really pretty, very good goal that was like. You know, highlight it. You know, and, and like Ben said, like these are just three incredibly good attackers who all work very well together. I mean, Kane's assist for Son's one-on-one is just—I I mean, that's an—I've been banging this drum on the podcast for a few months now, but it's like I've totally turned the corner on Kane in terms of what, like just ride him until the wheels fall off. I don't care about like as long as, especially if we have Conte, like who else does that? Like who else can like do a like a one look? It wasn't a no look header, but he has this one look pass that just completely cut with his head that completely cuts open Villa and puts Son in on goal. It's, I mean, it's remarkable, like, what he was able to do on that goal. Yeah, Kane spent, like, a- after his injury, he spent, like a, like, a, like, a season and a half where he kept trying to be the guy who drops in. He would drop deeper and deeper, and he'd spray these passes out wide, and his, like, shot creation didn't really improve, and Tottenham, didn't like, they were not very good teams. They were not getting lots of goals out of playing this way. But he just sort of kept at it and just like so, to some degree, like clearly, I'm I'm sure that you know him getting physically better helped him in those situations. A little more explosion pushes defenders off him. I don't know what, but suddenly it just feels like he kept doing that until he got really really good at it. And now he that 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 when he drops in to pick up the ball you're just expecting him to play a great pass. And that was not at all true a couple of years ago. He's just gotten way, way better at it. I think probably Man, having Conte, yeah, Conte in the patterns probably makes that, is, it, it doesn't hurt. I mean, I hate to hand it to Jose, but you kind of got to hand it to Jose is, you know, he built a system, as much of a system as you could call it, that involved a lot of sun running off of Kane playing those passes. And, like, that had never been part of what Kane was doing. Kane was, like, still the number one guy trying to figure out how to be involved in the team. There wasn't, like, a real shape around that to maximize that passing. And so while he got better at it from Jose on to now Conte, there is a whole support structure to enable that. And, like, now with Conte, it is, like, it's not just, like, a thing that happens. It's it's the plan. Like, we try to either get the center backs to find Kane early in a move and Kane turns it or, you know, we build the ball slowly and Kane finds space between the lines and then he does the same thing. And cool. that's just that's just how we attack. We also have Kulishevsky up there. So it's not just Kane trying to like, okay, we're son. All right, there you are. I'm going to like hit, hit you deep now. It's, you know, there's options up there now. There's players who interact and integrate into attacking play that like yeah. we – Frankly, I think it was a bit of an issue for us at the turn of the year, and I think... what makes Kulosevsky fit so perfectly mm-hmm. is that, like, because Conte's system is all about wherever he's been, it's about getting those direct runners off of some sort of pivot. Like, you know, at, at Inter, it was much more about uh, Martinez running off of Lukaku, but then he also had Barella up there feeding both of them. And here, it's sort of a different situation where, like. 
Kane is the one who's looking for the two runners in the ideal situation. But then if you get it to Kulisevsky in particular, he's then going to create from, from there. And so you get these sort of two different creative pivots off of which different players can finish. It's a really, really well-balanced system. I, I want to yeah, spend a little Kulisev- bit... Of, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, just Kulisevsky isn't just a runner. And that makes it that gives you like a second opportunity to reorient the attack around when he gets the ball. Kane can now catch back up with the play, create a, another overlapping run. And it's just, you know, all, Conte's patterns involve a lot of guys moving from one zone in the field, overlapping into another zone of the field, um, <clears throat> creating overloads, creating, you know, passing opportunities. And when we had Lucas Mora doing that, you know, you know, he's a dead end with the ball, you know, in the way that Sun is, but Sun's dead end is running at the goal and then scoring. Lucas is dribbling out of bounds and <laughs> the end. Um, and Kulisevsky is just like the exact, exact right fit for these two guys right now. And it's, we, I, it's so, it's so great to see how quickly they've all integrated and developed a relationship together because it's scintillating. Well, and, and Kulisevsky with his nerd Lord uh, celebration after the goal, his arms just flopping around because he doesn't know what to do with them when he's trying to piss pump. I mean, I, I Kulishevsky is so much fun to watch. I mean, I, I, I've we've talked about it on this podcast. He's just everything we were missing up front because, like you said, Ben, like you give it to Lucas, and it's like Lucas is going to have the ball until he either scores, hits, gets a corner, or like concedes possession to the other team. Now, sometimes that ends well. Most of the time, it doesn't because he's not son. But it's like, yeah, it's just, it, you know, it's a dead end there. Whereas now it's like, you know, Kulishevsky can do so many things with the ball once he gets it. And it's, just, God, we're so much fun to watch. And I think it might be the best front three in the Premier League, which I think is saying something. I think it's not quite there. I mean, it is at this very moment. It certainly is. But, like, over the course of the season, I don't know that I bet on them over whatever Man City is doing or the solid Jota whoever, Mane, Diaz, whoever. Um, but, like, it's 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 in the conversation for sure. Um, and at the very moment we're in right now, it's absolutely the best um, front three in England. Do you think it's good that we got Kulishevsky instead of Diaz? We talked about this at the time. Michael, maybe you want to weigh in because I feel like we've already talked about this. Yeah. But I think Diaz might end up being the better player, but I he was always a worse fit. It was just, if he's going to be that good, Kane and Son are getting old, replacing them with a guy who could be like that is probably a good move. But, you know, he plays on the left. So does Son. It's harder to integrate the two of them together. He's not, he's not as Ericsson-y as Kulisevsky is. You know, he doesn't compliment the, those two guys as well. Um, in the long term, I don't know who's going to be the better signing, who would have made Spurs better over five years. But that's my feeling, at least. Kulisevsky's the right guy for the right moment. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the basic issue with Diaz is entirely that he is a, what appears to be an excellent, you know, left, like right footer cutting in from the left. And that is not the player that Tottenham really, really need right now. He's really good at that. He is a, he's, because he's not, he, he gets goals and creates goals off of the left while being a really pretty spectacular possession player. Like he's a, he's a forward and you look at his passing numbers, you're like, how is he retaining the ball that well in the areas that he's getting the ball? You know, he's passing at like 85% in, 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 in those spaces where he's picking up the ball and pressing the ball really well. Like, none of this is to say that Luis Diaz doesn't look like a fantastic signing, but it's just hard to see how that ends up balancing a front three in the way that Kulisevsky does for Tottenham. And I mean, Kulisevsky is three years younger. You know, you, you, you take that. That's, 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 that's not nothing. And played in harder Especially league. given how old Kane and Son are. Yeah. <laughs> And he's played in a tougher league, so, like, probably... I mean, it was never a sure thing with him because he had one great year in Serie A and it was kind of a dud at Juventus. And there's a lot of reasons that he was a dud at Juventus, but... And the other thing is, is, like, really good left footers are a really rare commodity. It's harder to fill that spot on the pitch. There are a lot of 
guys who are right-footed who can come in off the left and do goal-related activities, you know, maybe not as good, maybe not as, you know, available to us on the budget that Luis Diaz would have been, but it's an easier player to sign when we need that player. So I think, again, long-term, I'm happier with, with, with where we are. Let's talk about Sun. Um, I think he is maybe not as appreciated as he ought to be because I mean, these last couple games, it's. I know he's a bit of a streaky player. At least that's the perception of Sun. But I mean, God, there, there's almost you know you watch the way that Kane and Sun are playing right, and Kane who hasn't scored a goal in a couple games, but you know you can kind of see. I, like I can understand why Levy has been so reluctant to like embrace a rebuild. Like I obviously they're trying to make the team younger but they're trying to squeeze those last drops out of Kane and Son. And when you watch them play like this, you kind of understand why. Because, like, I don't think Son's in that top tier of attacker that, you know, you might put a Harry Kane in or a Salah, but, like, he's just under it. I mean, he's so dangerous with the ball. He's such a good finisher. I mean, it makes me so happy. This is a personal, like, thing of mine, but it makes me so happy that, like, Spurs are the team that everyone's going to think of when they think of Hunming Son at the end of his career. He's just, he's such a good player. He's so much fun to watch when he's sort of, you know, in, in the zone. And we've been seeing it for the last couple of matches. And this was just, I mean, this was such a great hat trick in terms of each goal was just incredible. Like you said, Michael, both of them, both those ball balls just perfectly weighted off the inside of the post to go in. I mean, and, and then it's so exciting when he gets one-on-one with a ball like that, um, you know, the, the, for a second goal. It's just He's such an incredible attacker, and it'd be really cool. He's—I think he's three off of Salah for the Golden Boot. Um, certainly, he's ahead of Salah, you know, because he doesn't take penalties. So um, he's ahead of Salah for non-penalty goals. But it would be really nice if he could win that this year. He's—he's he's having his best uh, best XG season of his career. That's interesting because wasn't he? Un- he was really underperforming his XG for a while there, wasn't he? Or am I misremembering that? Oh well, yeah, but I mean both. He, I mean, I mean. Two different things here. He had oh, yeah, yeah, a, okay. um, yeah. I, sorry. He, I mean, both him and Kane just started the season playing badly. That was remember that mm-hmm. that, that was like a month of this season was I like. Wonder, I wonder what was going on. I wonder what was going on back then. And um, but he's he's now bounced back. He, his his finishing is finally over the last couple of games now ticked above average. Which I mean, again, he's he's consistently like you know. There are very few players who are consistently above their XG to the degree that that, that Sun is. And when you watch him, it's obvious why. But he's also now at uh, 0.72 XG and XA per 90, where he's usually like a a little over 0.5 XG and XA per 90. And then he adds to that with his usual finishing and with the, the help of Kane's finishing, like his goals and assists bump higher than that, is better than that right now. And I think that like, you can see it watching him. He's just getting somewhat more of the chances that he likes to get. Well, there was a lot of talk, um, I think, early in Conte in Conte's tenure that like Son wasn't a great fit for the system. But I think what you've been seeing over the last I, – I agree with you, but I think what you've been seeing over the last few months, partly I think it's having Kulishevsky in the front three, but I think Son just gets it. And you know, we talk about the patterns and people just know where they're supposed to be. And I think Son's just really – figured it out in the last like in this calendar year i think he's really figured it out yeah i mean how much of sun's improvement would you put a tribute to conte playing a system deliberately to maximize him as the chief goal scoring outlet on the team and how much is it sun is doing new things on his own because he's getting better yeah and and how much of it is kane is finding him more you know, he's got a better creator behind him. I, I mean, who knows? But it's great. It's all awesome. <laughs> working. He's so much. He's so much fun. He's so. Those goals are so good. It's just. It's it's great. There is nothing better. Like like Pete Kane was great, but there's something really fun about a goal scorer with a little bit of motor, like you know, like a Jermaine Defoe or something. Someone who can like get into space and really start moving, like a Salah or whatever. It's just it's really fun to like you know because you've got that like five seconds of anticipation of, you know, like he breaks through Bill's defense and he's running at the goal. And God, it's, just, it's so exciting. It's so much fun. I'm, it's, it makes me so happy. And it's, it's, it's so funny that like, you know, there was that moment where someone is maybe going to hire Antonio Conte 
and it was and there were questions about whether this was a good idea or not and like i mean and yes you can make you can question like you know what do you is there a short term like he his track record is so incredibly well built out at this point and we're just watching him do the thing that we've seen him do now at club after club after club and he's just all of the players are looking better and they're looking better in this really straightforward way where they're just doing more of the things that make them good. And he, he's finding ways to just get like, you know, 10% more Sun Hung Min doing the best things that you want Sun Hung Min doing. Like it's, it's exactly what you would have predicted beforehand based on his track record. But I think, what I think you... a lot of Tottenham fans were like worried and I was worried. I was, I was like, yo, is this really going to happen? This is this amazing thing that should happen. And and, you know, I think you're always scared with your team and also, like, you know, spent a lot of time saying that, like, this amazing thing should happen with Gilles Celso and Tongi and Dombele. I totally believe in that. But believed in this, too. And this one is actually a 100% well, happening. We were all saying, like, God, how good is Christian Romero going to be once Con- once he's healthy under Conte? And, like, there's part of your brain, like you said, like, the Lo Celso thing, the Indombole thing, like, oh, maybe it won't work out. Nah, it worked out pretty much how we all hoped it would. Like, it, he's been great. Like, Conte's, like, making it. But even, even like, past that, like, like okay, he's making Christian Romero and Son and uh, and Kane, like, much better players. Kulashevsky, a much better player. That's, like, these are all talented guys. Like, the fact that he was getting, like, 40% more out of, like, Matt Doherty than, like, the most optimistic, I think, projection is... I think that's a real testament to what a great I think it was, is. like, 400% yeah. more out of Matt yeah. Doherty. We were all... We were all depressed when we found out Doherty was out for the rest of the year. Like, imagine that alternate reality, like, six months ago. Like, imagine thinking that, like... It's a shame, and I do... We, we should talk about it, because I do feel really bad for the guy. He's gotten so much shit from a lot of people nobody on this podcast <laughs> definitely um and you know he just kept his head down and kept working and finally a guy is here who's like hey remember that thing you were really good at doing at wolves you should just do that <laughs> and yeah. we'll get you there and you know who knows what he's going to come back like an mcl injury is a, a big injury and he's not young and you don't know what that's going to mean for him like this could just be it we'll have this you know few few months of, of Matt Doherty renaissance and uh, we'll all remember it f- fondly as like a trivia footnote but you know I, I, I it's sad to see that he isn't going to have a chance to build on this and and you know just deliver more of that promise because man he, he deserves it good for him I think what's sort of particularly sad about it Ben is I don't know about you guys I certainly but I got here, and I certainly think a lot. I, I got the feeling a lot of other Spurs fans got there after the Newcastle game, which is like I think we all got to the point where, oh, Darty should stick around next year because like, I think we all kind of wanted to sell him for a long time, and then I think we all got to the point of like, or at least I did, like, okay, he can be on the team next year, like that's useful. Like I don't, I don't need to get rid of him in the off season, like unless someone just Me. wants to offer us a stupid amount of money. He was more than useful. He was putting up like elite yeah. fullback. Goal scoring. No, I, I'm not numbers. trying to like, undersell it. What I'm saying is, I think I got to the point where I was like, I, I convinced myself, like, okay, he needs to be here next year. We don't need to replace him with someone better because that's going to be hard to do because he is so good right now. And it's just a shame that as soon as I feel like a lot of Spurs fans sort of hit that, you know, we get to this where he's you now he's out for the rest of the year, and hopefully he's just out for the rest of the year. He'll be fine next season, but I yeah. Don't know. I think it was, you know, and his loss in this game was really telling of what a what an impact, you know, having a good wing back generally and him specifically has meant for us is, you know, we we really depend on that outlet, that fourth runner into the box, that extra man being a useful presence in the mm-hmm. final third, uh, both as an outlet, as a late arriving runner. Um and the other guys we have on the team just don't really do that. Um, and, you know, as fun as it was to beat the crap out of Vela the way we did, it is a little concerning going forward. How are we going to handle this run-in without that guy doing that thing in this system? Because, like, over the last, like, seven games, we've put up more than two expected goals in, like, five of them. Um, you know, we're not 
just winning well. We're we're winning by big numbers. We're beating teams very comprehensively for the most part. And it's nice to hang four goals on Villa, but we did it with a very concerning, you know, expected goals um, underlying numbers here. And you do get a little afraid if what what that team is going to look like without him. And I think it's worth. What do you think, Michael? Yeah. Are you Who, who's the Who's the fourth guy that's going to get shots? Like. It's nice that we've answered the question from earlier this season of who's the third guy that's going to get shots. That's a big improvement, but there isn't a fourth guy. Like well, I don't, I don't see that changing. I, I don't, I don't see like you know Lucas or Berkvine wingbacks suddenly happening and getting us those numbers. Like maybe Regulone somehow works out. Maybe Conte magic something up. But Reggie. for the most part, I think we're going to be depending on the front three. For pretty much all of the shots and goals without Doherty out there. I think Reggie gets a decent amount of shots. I don't think they're as good as Doherty's shots, but I mean, Reggie's popping up in the box and kicking the ball in the general direction of the net fairly regularly. I think what I'm interested in seeing, because we've got, what, seven weeks, give or take, eight, six weeks. I think, you know, um, Royale has had like two pretty decent games now in the, in the team, like where at least. You know, it's been fine. Like, he hasn't really... My point is, he might have some confidence, and if, if Conte is just going to have to truck him out there every week, like, I'm interested to see what he can do with him. And Because we all thought, I mean, Doherty kind of just got forced into the team at one point, and Conte had to work with him. I understand Doherty is better suited to what Conte wants to do. But I'm just, you know, I mean, Conte's done more with less in the past, so I'm, I'm curious to see what he can get out of Royale. And in some ways, I think it's nice that, like, one way or another, we're going to go into the summer knowing if Royale can give us anything going forward or if we need to sell him. I mean, we're, it's not going to be an open question. We're going we're gonna to have an answer one way or the other. I think I know what that answer is. Yeah, but, I think we have that answer. Well, but you would have said that about Doherty, like, a month ago. So I mean, I would have said Doherty is not capable of playing football anymore. But I still recognize that one thing that Doherty is good at is that thing. And I don't think I don't think Royale is going to do that popping up in the box and getting shots thing. But that doesn't mean he can't be a useful wingback in terms of either ball progression, no, or like, like even even chance creation in the box, or, or at least assists in the box. I mean, I think the thing is, is I worry that it's not just enough to have some useful wingbacks. It's that we specifically need that kind of player to operate in the final third as that extra attacker, um, you know, and, you know, we saw, we saw Sessegnon get a chance under Conte before he got hurt. And he's a player who is much more similar to Matt Doherty than really anybody else we have. Um, who's, who's naturally a wingback. You know, he's a guy who's, who was a left forward, at, you know, at points in his career, he's, he knows his way around the box. He knows how to shoot the ball. he, you know, he knows how to make those runs and, and create in those areas. Um, and I think that's probably our best hope. We, we may not see it just because Regulon's senior, he's fitter, faster. But I, I don't know. That, that's, that's what I'm dreaming on right well, now. I, think that's, not, that's I don't the, feel great dreaming on it. I think that's the question on our left side. I think none of us have a – I mean, Regulon came in, but – fitness, we don't know how much fitness is playing into any of that, so I don't think we have a great idea. I mean, we'll probably have a better idea this week, but um, as we record this. Conte was happy playing two right-backs as both wing-backs. Maybe he'll give us uh, Sessegnon and Regulon. Could be. Could be. Uh, I think we have uh, one thing we'd be remiss, uh, one player we'd be remiss not to give a little bit of a spotlight to is Hugo Lloris. Uh, Hugo Lloris is probably in a game where we scored four goals, all of which were incredible, and one player got a hat trick. I think Hugo Lloris probably still deserves man of the match. Uh, ben, do you want to apologize to Hugo Lloris? For what? For 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 th- for doubting our, re- our our new contract for him. Um. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh. Yeah, he's he's playing really well. <laughs> uh, and had a very 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 impressive half of football. I think it was seven saves um, and a half. Some of them, like, absolutely spectacular. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, 
I, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna couch this in some caveats about long term strategy. I'm glad he's here. He's wonderful. <laughs> great guy. Great keeper. It's, great game. It's fun. It didn't matter last week, but you know we conceded our one goal last week because he misjudged a free kick and. You know, and then this week, you just literally could not have asked for a better performance. I mean, just outstanding save after outstanding save. I think save, seven shots saved in the first half or something like that. It was, I mean, incredible. And it's funny because, I mean, I guess, like, it's probably dumb on my part. Like, I don't primarily think of Hugo as a shot stopper, maybe because Gomez was here first. Too. That was literally all Gomez could do, but... I mean, that might be the thing he's still he's best at at this stage of his career. It was, I mean, just yeah. Hugo's Hugo's good for screwing up possession, like in 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 pretty notable ways, several times every uh, every month. It was you know, late it, in this game, but the, he... the shot the shot stopping is the thing that he does at this point. It was it was Pochettino who was like, uh, "You're not a sweeper. You're a shot stopper. Stop doing that. Get <laughs> you know." get into the position where you can you can save goals and do that. And, that, and that's what he became under Pochettino. And since then, like, you know, that, that's that been the the where he has contributed the most. This game was funny to me because if you look at, like, uh, Spurs' expected goal difference and their goal difference under Conte, they've been tracking each other with usually, for the most part, game-to-game, expected goal difference has been a little bit worse, has been a little bit better. Like, Spurs have been underplaying their XG under Conte, despite, like, all these wins and all these blowouts, Spurs have been underplaying their XG under Conte until today, until that one game. And then, you know, Suns finishing, Kulosevsky's finishing, Larissa's shot stopping. Suddenly, Tottenham are like several goals better than their XG under Conte, which is kind of what you expect for a team that has Kane and Son and Larissa. And so usually that comes like gradually, like bit by bit. Oh, there's an extra save here, there's a good shot here. In this case, this one game <laughs> was just all of the value you get from those great finishers, um, uh, 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 like all packed into this one match. Sorry, uh, it was just all of our. So I, I had to take a big Greg, yawn. Right, Kaylee was stats jokes. <laughs> oh God, Michael's talking about numbers again. Uh, no, it was it was like yeah, this game really was the story of all of our elite players being very elite. Uh, I think speaking of our elite players, I would be remiss if I did not highlight uh, Christian Romero, who you know we talked about how deplorable Aston Villa's violence is, and then he put one of Villa, then he put a Villa player's arm in a sling at the end of the match when the when the result was beyond doubt, and I can't, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy that. So I'm a total hypocrite for everything I talked about earlier with Aston Villa. Yeah, wrong kid died. He should he should have put Matty Cash out, but I'll take I'll take Paula Dean. I mean, I'll take you know it's all it, I don't I don't really care which Villa player is catching strays at that point, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So let's well, uh, Ben. Do you have anything else to say about this match? Yeah. Just okay. Satisfying. Yeah, very satisfying. Uh, satisfying Spur- couple of weeks. It's satisfying gotten, like, position. I feel like Spurs, like, we went from, like, Conte got here, got real fun to watch Spurs again, and then it got kind of, like, stressful for a month and a half there. And now it's like, I, I can't remember, I, I can't remember the last time I had this much fun watching Spurs week to week. Probably, like, you know, the year we lost the title to Chelsea, you know. I mean, we're just whipping God. the shit out of teams. It's awesome. How great is it to not have to hear the Conte meltdown interviews so every good. week? That's the only reason Spurs need to be scoring five goals a week, so I don't have to hear it. Like, I mean, yeah. we, we're just, God, we really turned the mood around. Yeah, we really did. Uh, so let's let's look at the mood in general. Let's zoom out from Spurs and look at the league as a whole and talk about how how great it. This was a very unusual experience for me as a Spurs fan because. Not one, but two of our rivals for top four, one of which is Arsenal, wet the bed on Sunday, in, Ar- in Arsenal's case, the week earlier in the week. But Spurs took total advantage of it. It was, I mean, really just everything lined up for us this week. And Arsenal just completely threw away the, the or at least the, their control of the top four race in a way that was... I don't know. Arsenal, I don't know if they were lucking into wins, but it was really frustrating to watch them just grind out these 1-0 or these one-goal victories. You know, winning 2-1, 1-0, 3-2, and it just, 
I don't know, watching them just not just get their ass kicked by Villa and then like not be able to put it together against Brighton. Just really an incredible like pair of results there. Just very satisfying to watch. Yeah, I mean it's 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 been very, very, very funny to see our team finally put it together the way that they have coincide exactly with Arsenal's wheels falling off a bit. Um, you know, they got their asses kicked by Crystal Palace. Um, they got beat by, uh, who else they got beat by? Liverpool. Brighton. 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 Yeah, it's just all going poorly. They've suffered some serious injuries. It's just really everything you could hope for for a team you dislike. Um, and, uh, yeah, now we're three points ahead, albeit they have a game in hand. But our goal difference was, like, ten behind them a few weeks ago, <laughs> and now it's ten ahead of them. Um, everything has just turned around, and, like, you know, narratives are fun. <laughs> At, you know, a couple weeks ago, the narrative was very clearly that Arsenal had figured it out. Arteta's a genius. Arsenal are going to walk to the top four. Conte's too, a little too late. And now here we are. But I don't know, like, Michael, I'm curious as your opinion on this, because it always felt to me like Arsenal built this sort of weird, like, house of cards that was, like, working, but it always felt, like, very precariously, you know, perched on one another. And as soon as, like, I mean, and Palace was whipping their ass before they had players start going out injured, but, like, you know, with Party out, with Tierney out, like, I mean, God, they're really in bad shape. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, even even that match, Tierney was already out, and Partey. I mean, he was quite bad in that match, and he got injured in. And like this, I see the suggestion seemed to me that he had come back from internationals not at his best. Yeah, and then um, and 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 because you know he already had was dealing with some problems with 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 that with that thigh, he's had problems with. Like that seemed like it was already part of the story, and. Arsenal getting this much better very much surprised me. It absolutely happened. You can't you can't say it didn't happen at all. But it was it's still weird to me exactly how it happened, and it seemed to be pretty dependent on a lot of different guys being that tick better when they're all playing together and just getting that tick better. I mean, Bukayo Saka got better. Martinelli is good. They got like somewhat better production out of the Odegaard got somewhat better. They get in the same re- reasonably useful production out of Smith Rowe and makes a good team. Doesn't make it doesn't make a great team, but doesn't make a team that's like clearly worse than Tottenham. But now they get these two injuries and it's gonna be interesting to me because the first half against Brighton was like everything that I would have like hope to see from a Raquel Arteta team kind of imploding them not playing anyone in midfield who can win the ball and just basically getting pressed to a degree that they can't attack anymore. And then the second half, they adjusted a little bit and they got better. And by the end of the second half, they were kind of like creating a ton of chances against Brighton. So I'm hesitant to say that this team that I have constantly said, nah, this is not going to work. This is the time it's not going to work. But you know, it's definitely it's, it's definitely not good for them to have those injuries. This is, I think, where it gets hard to sort of separate narrative from reality because it sure feels, and I think this is because I think Arsenal fans have spent years creating a toxic atmosphere around that club that is impressive even by our standards. You know, like, they have two bad results in a row. And admittedly, like, very bad results at a very bad time of the year to sort of, like, you know, it feels like they threw away a lot of that progress they've made. And it certainly feels like they, they, I mean, they did throw away control of the top four race. Uh, You know, Tottenham is firmly in the driver's seat now. Whatever happens for the rest of the year, we control our destiny at this moment in time. And I don't know, like, it feels like Arsenal's about to spiral. Maybe that's too much, too much about narratives. But I mean, now it's kind of like, because like the way the season started, the way the last year went, it was like, I don't feel like there were great expectations for Arteta earlier in the year. And the way they've been playing, it, it kind of felt like they were playing with house money. And now all of a sudden, you know, like, it's back to where we were. It feels like they've thrown a lot of that progress away because they've had these two bad matches. I don't know. Again, I don't know if perception is reality here. I hope, I hope it is because that would be great. 
but I don't know. They feel like they're very – it's just like their team. It feels like it's very precarious for them right now. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think House of Cards is probably a little unfair, but I think you're right that Arsenal kind of got better as Arteta gradually pieced together a workable 11 on the pitch that he was really struggling to find. You know, it took Aubameyang leaving and Lacazette coming back into the team, Martinelli coming into the team – party being healthy for a consistent run and figuring out that Jaka party midfield. And like everything was very, very carefully constructed yeah. in such a way that was maximizing, you know, the Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli attacking midfield band behind a striker. Who's still not very good, not a good goal scorer. Um, and they were winning a lot of close games. And like by underlying numbers, they were still good, but they weren't, they weren't killing teams the way that when we are good, we kill teams. You know, they've only had one multi-goal victory in 2022. Like, it was all very finely tuned. And the question for Arteta is going to be, how quickly can he rebalance the side with those key absences in Party, who's a huge loss, and Tierney, who is a big loss in his own right, but is a kind of easier loss to hide. And his first attempt at solving these problems was to take his second best midfielder and play him as a left back. And then they had no midfielders and like mm-hmm. that didn't work. So I can't think he's going to do the same thing a second time. Um, you know, even though Nuno Tavares against Crystal Palace was like abjectly terrible um, standing in for Tierney at left back. So it's, it's, it's a tough, it's tough to like rebuild that kind of Swiss watch of a team that he had put together and when you don't have anybody as good as Kane or Son who can kind of paper over those cracks, it just makes it that much harder. And, you know, I'll, I'll give credit to Arteta. He got the team to this place in a way that I didn't think he was capable of in the first place. And maybe he'll figure it out. Like the subs he made, he brought on Pepe and Akedia, and like they both made the, the attack a lot better. You know, they do have some talent um, that they can leverage, and he might figure it out. And the question is, is having already dropped these two points and surrendered their initiative in the top four race, or not two points, two games, six points, and surrendered that initiative in the top four race, does not matter? If we're going to be as good as we've been lately, you know, it might, it might, it might not matter how quickly he fixes it, but that's, that's the task. And I, we'll see. Yeah. Or like a couple of bounces could go the wrong way. And then, yeah. They win a game and we lose, and suddenly it's you know, yeah, out of the derby. I mean, right, like, it's, it's very tight, <laughs> and luck is a thing. Yeah, like I, I, I mean, absolutely. Like the the combination of Tottenham being better than Arsenal over the period of time, even if you cut out the period of time when Arsenal were bad, and you cut out the time, period of time when, when when Spurs were bad, the like net is better for Spurs. If you put it all together, the net is better for Spurs. If you look at the you know, if you look at the, the the schedule they've got, it's better for Spurs. If you look at the injury situation, it's better for Spurs. But all of this adds up to like you know, sixty five thirty five, seventy thirty. You know, Michael, are, are you saying that? Way, then, are you, you saying know, this is why we play the games? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> right, can't play out the season on a spreadsheet, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> spreadsheet says seventy percent. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what do you do with that? <laughs> In seven of ten universes, we will finish top ten. I hope exactly. we're living in one of them. It, it's it's just like Arteta's whole philosophy at Arsenal feels like it's like instead of getting on the highway and paying a toll, he's like doing side roads the whole way to get to his destination. And it might work, but it's taking five times as long, and it's way more complicated until like you know it doesn't work. I don't. I, I'm I'm running out of room on this metaphor, but my point is he's overcomplicating everything and he did it to the extent where now he's missing these pieces. It's, you know, he's up shit's Creek without a paddle. And I just hope that it can continues to spiral. I mean, he's playing Southampton this weekend. He's probably going to get right, but I thought he was going to get right against Brighton. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I we play Brighton this weekend. Hopefully it goes a lot better for us than it's hit for them. You know, Brighton, Brighton Arsenal in that match so like there's a little bit of cosmic karma there uh uh yeah i don't know you know you don't know how, how south going to respond to getting absolutely waxed by chelsea last weekend 
are they gonna be better or <laughs> is their season over? Um, it, it, it's just crazy because I feel like we've spent like at least this calendar year just waiting for something to go against Arsenal. And other than like losing to Liverpool, which like all right, you know, it just felt like nothing was really going against them. And all of a sudden, it's like the bounty of riches in a single week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they play they play Chelsea, Man U, and West Ham over the next month. So I think we're going to know soon. We'll probably know a lot more by the time we play them. It might be a foregone conclusion. It might be they pick up those games and then blow it against Newcastle and Everton in the last two weeks of the season. <laughs> you never know. We've certainly done stupider things ourselves. So to Newcastle, <laughs> particularly. <laughs> So before we leave, we have a couple questions from our listeners. Um, I think I've got one. We're going to start with one from our um, colleague, uh, Vince, which I think is very, very good for both of you guys. Uh, if Spurs attacking band were compared to, say, a Negroni, who is which ingredient and why? Uh, Michael, you're our guest, so I'll start with you. I saw this question, and I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I get. I guess you you need like the the, the balance from 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 the sweetness in the in in in, in the vermouth, and so uh, I, I, I'm not sure where I'm going with that. I, I, no, come on, mean, Michael! Don't any, stop now! Don't stop now! Any, any number of them could be sweet. I sun think sun like, is the sweetest. Come on, keep going. Sun is the sweetest because he seems like a really nice person, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, who, who, I think I think you need like the the bitter weirdness of the Campari that like sets off all of that. So that's Kulishevsky because he believes in aliens. Yeah, it believes in aliens, <laughs> and so that makes Harry Kane gin because he's English. Yeah, I I think that's hands. <laughs> I think that's hands. Ben, do you have any notes? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that Kulishevsky was the vermouth that like ties the. The flavors together, um, but uh, yeah, I, don't, I think sun is sweet. So, who am I to say no? So this comes from someone I think who's listening to our podcast for the first time. I'm not sure how to say um, his name. Uh, Renom, Renal, all about. I don't know. Um, anyway, he wants to know if we know any good wingbacks. Lucas Mora and Steven Bergvine. Ben, run with it. <laughs> I mean, why? I why? Give me a non-racist reason these players should be uh, wingbacks for us. They should be wingbacks because I want Conte to do the thing for Spurs that he's done everywhere else. Like we deserve it. It's the thing that I want most in football is to see a guy out of position be made into a fullback, and it keeps not happening. And I deserve to see this. We brought the guy who does it. Finally, it's my dream come true, and he's not giving it to me. He probably had like done for other people, and I want this for me. <laughs> he probably had like one meeting with it about Mora, and Mora just could, like couldn't figure it out. Started talking about Jesus, and he was like, "Nah, I'm good. Like, no, we're we're fine. Royale, get back out there." Yeah, I I just want it. Uh, Justice Lloyd West wants you to tell him, Michael, uh, why what Spurs are doing isn't real from a numbers perspective, so we can stop building hope that this is both sustainable for this year and potentially next. No, it's, it's real. <laughs> you, 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 should, you, should, you should hurt yourself, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> you should have hope, and you, you, should, you, should, you should allow yourself to be open to suffering, because without being open to suffering, you're not going to have the, the, the joy of uh, when, when it succeeds. Because this one might... This one might this is a very Easter theme message from you, Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. Harsh Mishra wants to know if we have peaked too early for next season, which I think is the most Spurs question possible. Ben, is it Are we too- playing too good right now? Yeah, yeah. We need to wait. Yeah, we've we've wasted all of our goodness on this half of the season, and we won't have anything left in the tank. I think I think we're definitely poised for like a Pochettino style. Like, if you look at these two seasons combined, we were the best team, and instead we're gonna get nothing out of both seasons. Like, I think that's not an unreal possibility. 
you know, we're going to be the, the calendar year champions. Best team in 2022. Where's the trophy for that? I think, I think that's just a thing we can sing in other fans then, although I'm not sure they'll understand it. So, Final question. Uh, ben, would you be happier if we screwed City or Liverpool out of the title at the end of the year? Oh, absolutely Liverpool. <laughs> like I, beating Liverpool to deprive them of the title is like, that's that's the dream. We've fucked City so many times. Like, it's not even fun anymore. And we fucked them in the Champions League where, like, it really matters. Like, that's what they want. That's the trophy that City needs. And they, you know, it's out of our hands this year. But Liverpool's won a lot of European trophies. They still have one title with an asterisk thanks to COVID. I would definitely love to keep them from getting a real title. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I was getting really frustrated with everyone talking about how great the Liverpool-City rivalry was. And part of me was like, am I mad because City-Spurs is a better rivalry? And then I realized, no, like, more than one team needs to win for it to be a rivalry. So City Spurs is not a rivalry because <laughs> it's completely one-sided. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think that wraps us up for this week. Um, yeah, Michael, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is super fun. And you can go to uh, patreon.com slash pivot. Listen to me podcast more because it's great, right? Yeah, definitely. Really good. Everyone loves that. <laughs> ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs, And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheelie Dealer Radio. And finally, uh, for Ben, for Michael, for Brian with a Y, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.